At the beginning of the year, I began to pray about, hey God, where do, what, do you, what do you want our church to do going forward? And one of the things I felt uh, like God was telling me was, we need, to do, uh, we need to be more on mission. We need to do some mission sorts of things. So I began to look around for opportunities. Hey, what, what are you providing for us? Where can we go? We sponsor a church, or we help sponsor a church in Columbia, South Carolina, uh, which works in a predominantly black neighborhood, and so one of our opportunities this year was to go and help them uh, with a health fair, and we went down one Saturday, and it was sort of a, a short, that's like the shortest term mission project you can be a part of, is a one-day thing, and so we went down and helped them. A couple of weeks ago, we went to help a church in Baltimore, and really that kind of wasn't on the radar going into the year, but um, there's a young man named Austin O'Donnell, he's from Easley, and he, planted, he has planted a church in the Baltimore area. So he was in town, and he was looking for some people to come help him, and so we gathered up a team of 12 from our church and four from Double Springs, and we went to, um, to Baltimore to help them uh, a couple weeks ago. And I hadn't told you about that, so I thought I'd give you a quick update. This is kind of like um, what I did over summer, you know, like when you used to go back to school, that's what happened. So we go to Baltimore, and our plan was that we were going to be part of working on a a sports camp. Now here's the deal with, uh, with any missions project, any missions trip. Sometimes it goes as planned and sometimes it doesn't. And we got to Baltimore and I, you know, we had 12 of us and, and it rained every day and it was soaking wet and the fields they were going to use for sports camps, that just didn't work out. So we ended up doing different sorts of things. One of the things that we did was hand out uh, door hangers for this new church plant that meets in, they're portable by the way, and our church was portable for 10 years, so we understand this, uh, they meet in a movie theater, and every week they set up, every Sunday morning they set up, so we handed out door hangers, and then one of the projects that we did, some of us did, was we set up a, a booth at the um, bus terminal, the bus stop, sorry, took me a second to come up with the right word. The bus stop, and it was really near. You could kind of see the church or see the theater from where the bus stop was. So we bought some donuts. We set up a little tent, and we handed out free donuts and invited people to church. That was kind of what we were doing. Well, while this was going on, uh, I had Elise, my daughter, and uh, Hunter, um, Ashley Teams is a daughter. She is children's pastor. And so I had a couple of the kids with me, and they were, they were 11 and 12 years old. They're, they were, uh, you know, pretty good size. And we had one of the, the pastor's daughter was there with us. She's uh, eight or nine, kind of little. And then a couple other people. And we set up uh, for that. And then we noticed some people. Now, this is kind of, this is Baltimore. We noticed some SWAT-looking people walking around. You know what SWAT people look like? They look like they're going to kill you. Uh, you should think that. Um, they had, the, like, the, 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 what do they call those? Uh, bulletproof vests and... And it said, you know, don't mess with me, you know, stuff like that on there. And, and so um, we, we see them walking around. Now, I'm not from Baltimore. And if you're from Baltimore, I'm sure it's a lovely city. I don't know if that's common. I'm from Danville, Kentucky. You know what's not common? SWAT people. So I don't know, you know. I'm not used to SWAT people. So evidently there was a shooting that had occurred somewhere near us, and they hadn't quite found the person doing the shooting yet. So the, the fine police officers came over and they said, you all might not want to be here. Uh, do you know how fast you can put, pick up your stuff if you hear 
the SWAT people say, you might not want to be here. Uh, we, we, got, we got our stuff uh, together, and we, we got out of there. And I don't know that we were ever in danger, but here, this is important, I think. Sometimes we pray. Like if we, if we pray for a mission team, we'll pray stuff like, Lord, keep them safe. Right? We pray that sort of thing. What if God wanted to do something in unsafety? I mean, have you ever considered that God might be saying, you know, why don't you go to a dangerous situation? Now, we didn't intentionally go to a dangerous situation. We just happened to find ourselves in a dangerous situation. But what if the kingdom would be, what if God would be glorified in being in a dangerous situation? That very same neighborhood, later that week, we left on a Wednesday. Another team came in, and they were able to conduct a sports camp Wednesday through Saturday. The, the next team that came in, there was a shooting, another shooting in that area, and they had to evacuate again. I mean, it's not like, it's not like that's a safe place. And this is the place that Austin has chosen to raise his kids and to start a church. It's very interesting. We, we get in our minds the way something is supposed to be or something has to be, and maybe God has a different idea. So we have to be open to the idea that God might be, might be thinking differently than we do. It's really important. So today we're going to talk about how we've got the Me Too movement in this, in this uh, country, and there's a lot of notions around what women can do and should do and that sort of thing. And so today we're going to talk about what God, how God feels about women. I'm going to start with a story from my hometown, Danville, Kentucky. Sweet, nice little hometown. This is a guy, um, his name, let me get it to you, is Mike Owings. He was arrested. By the way, Vlad, are you in here? He's in the back. I'm not saying it is Vlad, it kind of looks like Vlad. Uh, if you know Vlad... I was going to have him come up and say, where were you? You know, anyway, anyway. For the, if you're a guest, Vlad, look, this looks like him. That's who it is. Okay, so here, here's the story. In my hometown, this happened a couple of years ago. This guy is a, a barbecue pit master, <laughs> whatever, whatever that means. Uh, I thought that was race car stuff, but evidently he's a pit master. And he got into a little uh, altercation with a fellow pit master during a barbecue cook-off. Because that's serious stuff, evidently. I didn't, know, I didn't know it was a contact sport, but it is. Uh, who knew? All right, so they were arguing over who got to use the cooker. Is that something? Is a cooker something? Let me get the right word. Uh, arguing. Oh, cooker. I was right. Okay, uh, over a cooker. And Mr. Owings didn't like the tone of the fellow barbecuer, so he takes a brisket... And he throws it at the, his fellow contestant, who ducks. And the barbecue brisket hits a young lady by the name of Mary Berry. I, mean, I can't even make that up, Mary Berry. Who suffers uh, burns on her face and, and neck. And um, Mr. Owings is uh, subsequently arrested. Uh, the charge was wanton endangerment with a brisket. I mean, it's just like, it's like, okay. Now, this feeds into a certain stereotype about Kentucky. 
And I know after church, somebody's going to come up and say, you know, why they, you know why the toothbrush was invented in Kentucky? And you know the joke, right? Which is not a Kentucky joke, it's an Arkansas joke. Uh, it, it, they was invented in Kentucky because if it wasn't, it would be a teeth brush. Ha 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 Not funny. It wasn't funny the first 500 times I heard it. Okay, so don't come up to me after the service and say, that's the whole Kentucky joke. Because I don't want to hear it. Anyway, there's a certain stereotype about people from Kentucky. I'm breaking it right now. Got shoes on. So there you go. I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff that people think. And there are stereotypes about the church and women. And so today we're going to talk about that. It's kind of a serious, sort of a a heavy topic. And we're going to talk about, hey, this is kind of, this is what we're going to do. Jesus is revolutionary. I think that's my next slide. Let, let me, let me, yeah. Jesus is probably the most revolutionary character ever in dealing with women. How he handled, how he treated, how he uh, uh, communicated with women, especially when you consider his culture. Now, our culture is one thing, his culture completely different. I'm going to explain it to you a little bit. But the way Jesus interacted with women was revolutionary, is revolutionary. It, it is unbelievable, frankly. He, he, was, um, he was great with women. And so we're going to see that. You know, the stereotype is, okay, women are to be, you know, um, at home, and, and that's supposed to be their deal. Of course, World War II came around, and that kind of freed women to go into the workplace but understand first century culture, because this is really important. What Jesus did in dealing with women becomes more remarkable when you understand the culture. Um, men had all the power in first century Palestine. They had all the power. Um, a, a man could, uh, could get a divorce for just about anything. If you burnt the toast, ladies, he could divorce you. Uh, if, if he found somebody that he liked better, he could divorce you. Women had absolutely no legal rights. Babies who were born, when a baby boy was born, there was celebration. It was a time for great uh, fanfare. When a baby girl was born in this culture, occasionally and maybe often, the girls were simply, they called it exposed. They would leave them outside the city to die. They would leave them in the city courts, in the city square to die. Now, some nefarious people would take those babies and would raise them as slaves or as prostitutes. But there was little fanfare for women, being, baby girls being born. That was the culture. Um, women were perceived to be the cause of sin, especially sexual sin. And so, if a couple was caught in adultery, oftentimes, oftentimes, and almost always, the woman would be stoned and the man would be freed. Because it was her fault. That was the idea, the thinking in that particular culture. Women were considered inferior. In fact, many of the scholars didn't even believe that, they, that women could understand Scripture. So they weren't taught Scripture. Let me read a couple of quotes for you. There was a guy named Rabbi Tosefta of um, that era. And he said that Jewish men prayed every day thanking God they were not a Gentile, that they were not a dog, and that they were not a woman. There was a guy named Sirach. He was a Pharisee about 180 B.C., and he said, 
women were either good wives or a problem. Philo, a Jewish philosopher, argued that women ought to stay at home desiring the life of seclusion. And so it was into this culture that Jesus was born and Jesus was raised. And as a male Jewish teacher, single man, Jesus shattered stereotypes. He accomplished and did things that just weren't done in that era. His treatment of women is enlightening and it's, in, it's exemplary. And, and so this matters to me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a father of four daughters. Uh, I'm a brother of two sisters. I have a wife. I have a mom. A lot of women in my life. I mean, I, I understand this. And so this is important, has been important to me to study because I don't want my daughters to be treated in a way that's unbiblical. So let's talk about what God would have you know by looking at how Jesus treated women. There are three things. Number one, you have to understand that all people are incredibly important to Jesus. There are no second-class people, according to Jesus. In fact, uh, let me introduce you to a word. Uh, Jesus was supra-cultural. He was above culture. You've heard of supra-cultural. Supra means he was above culture. Let me give you a couple of stories where Jesus... Um, affirms the dignity and worth of women. One was, one of the things he did was he, he spoke to women. And there's this story in John about Jesus meeting a woman at the well. And you might know this story. And they were in Samaria, and Jews and Samaritans really didn't like each other. Uh, to get a kind of an idea around this, think Clemson, South Carolina. Kind of had that vibe to it, you know. And here's, as a Kentucky football fan, you all should, you all should get along. Y'all should get along. Kentucky football, we get along with everybody. Because we can't beat anybody. So uh, uh, we get along. You should take our example. In basketball, we hate everybody. And that's bad. That's bad. And, and um, we, we should repent, but we're not going to. Anyway, all right, anyway. <clears throat> You've got Jesus, Jewish, single, rabbi, male, who encounters a Samaritan woman. And he engages her in a conversation. Let's look at the text. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water at this well, Jesus said to her, he was sitting there waiting, by the way, will you give me a drink? Now, <laughs> we're Southern. Most of us are Southern. We engage in conversation. But if you've ever been to places, I mean, I, was, I lived in Michigan for eight years. They're not as, um, the culture's different. And so engaging in conversation is sometimes different there. It's different. Like here, we, we, you have a tendency, we have a tendency to say, hey, how you doing, you know, uh, to everybody. In Michigan, a little, it's a little colder as far as encountering folks. <laughs> I, remember, I remember coming out of um, Sam's Club one time. You know, you all know what the best thing about Sam's Club is, right? It's the hot dog and Coke thing that you get for a dollar. I mean... And so the, the Coke is as big as this table, and uh, it takes two hands, and they give you a backpack for, your, for the uh, hot dog because it's so big. And I, I had my big Coke, and I had my, my hot dog, and I'm walking out to my car, and I put the Coke on the car, and, and I get my, I'm getting my keys out, and there's somebody in my car. 
And now I'm like, okay, have I watched enough Rocky to mess this guy up? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I watched Karate Kid. I, I started doing, I mean, I, I went to the crane pose. Because I don't know, what am I going to do? I'm getting carjacked. Then I notice, there's a little subtle, uh, it wasn't my car. So now the guy in the car is looking at me like, why did you put your, your drink on top of my car? And he was starting to, he, he, I mean, it was like, oh, this is going to go bad. So he rolled down his window, and he said, can I help you? It was very friendly, uh, really. I mean, instead of get your stuff off my you know, car, and I said, dude, I'm, I'm really, really sorry. I thought this was my car. He laughed about it, and it was great. But it was because I was Southern. Oh, dude, I'm sorry. Bless your heart. And uh, it's like, oh. But we, we have this interaction. We, we can chat with people in the South. It's different. Now, Palestinians, uh, Samaritans, and Jewish people hated one another. So for Jesus just to engage in a conversation was remarkable. I, I can guarantee you when this happened, that woman nearly dropped the pot that she brought to take to the well to gather water. Because it just, it was unheard of. For a man to talk to a woman is unheard of. For a Jew to talk to a Samaritan was unheard of. And now you have both happening. And Jesus says, hey, could you give me a drink of water? Now, his disciples, Jesus' disciples had gone into town to buy food from the stinking Samaritans. They wouldn't have liked that, but they were hungry, so they went in and got some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. <laughs> Could you, if Jesus was snarky, don't you think he would have said, yeah? Uh, yeah. I mean, you're not telling me something I don't know. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And for a Jewish man, a rabbi, they simply did not talk to women. It was, the culture just forbade it. You just didn't do it. Listen to this. A man should not, this is the rule, a man should not talk with a woman on the street, not even his own wife, and certainly not with somebody else's wife because of the gossip. It is forbidden to give a woman even a greeting. You couldn't even say, Hello. Pardon? Uh -huh. Back in the first century. That's right. That's right. So, this is what happens. Jesus answered her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Really important to notice living water. Now, a well, not living water because it's not moving Living water was water that moves, so it would be like a stream or um, a spring or a river, and very uncommon in that desert area. Uh, we lived in the southwest for a few years. The one thing about water in the southwest is if there is any, they make a park around it because it, it is so uncommon. And so they'll, they'll set up a, hey, here's the bubbling spring. We're going to have a, a park here. Well, it's the same thing there. Incredibly uncommon to have living water, moving water. That just didn't happen very often. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I can provide for you living water. Now, what's really interesting about this is the Jewish people had traditions around cleanliness and, and offering sacrifices to God. And to cleanse your hands, you had to use, guess what? 
living water. You couldn't just use stale water. You had to use living water. And so Jesus wasn't particularly talking about water here. He was talking about spiritual water. And he engaged her in a conversation about her faith. When we were in Baltimore, one of the interesting things to me was to watch the pastor's daughter engage people in conversation about her dad's church. Seven, eight years old, little, little girl. We were at the bus stop. Now, I think adults, we get kind of jaded and we get a little bit fearful of rejection. And so we're afraid to approach people. This little girl approached everybody. In fact, she put most of us to shame. And she had a little purse, and she had in her purse these little cards with the name of the church on it. And she would go up and say, hey, I go to church right over here. Um, we'd love to have you. Here's the card. This is the information. Why don't you show up anytime you'd like? And they would, they would be engaging with this little girl who wanted them to come to church. It was kind of almost, it put me on my heels a bit because I'm like, okay, this is something that we can do as well. We could chat with people about coming to church and about spiritual stuff. I know it's kind of taboo in our culture, but it was taboo in that culture. And Jesus engaged this woman. And look at the next verse, super interesting to me. Just then his disciples arrived back and they were astonished to find him talking to a woman. Jesus engaged women in conversation. He also did something revolutionary by blessing women through touch. It's really, really, really important. You see it over and over in Scripture where Jesus heals people by touching them. There's a lady who has been bent over for 18 years and he touched her and she was healed. Um, there was Peter's mother-in-law and when Jesus came into Peter's house, his, Peter's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and he touched her hand and the fever was gone. And there's this, this power through touch. I don't know if you remember the story. It's kind of old, but there were these twin girls named Brielle and Kyrie. They were born in Massachusetts, in um, Worcester. They were premature. They both weighed about a little over two pounds at birth. Now, the one little girl, Brielle, just really was struggling. Kyrie was gaining weight. She was doing okay. She was in her incubator, but Brielle wasn't doing well. She constantly cried. She constantly... Um, she, you know, her oxygen levels weren't right. There was just a lot of stuff not going well for her. And they didn't know what to do. They wrapped her up. They held her. They suctioned her nose. I mean, the, everything the nurses knew to do didn't seem to help. And she was really in, she was, uh, in a dangerous situation. And then the nurse did something that was revolutionary for the time. She put Brielle in the incubator with her sister, Kyrie. There's a picture of it. Listen to how the story goes. Almost immediately, Brielle snuggled up to her sister, Kyrie. Her blood oxygen saturation levels, which had been frighteningly low, soared. She began to breathe more easily. The frantic crying stopped, and her normal pinkish color quickly returned. And over the next weeks, her health improved steadily in her new, less lonely quarters. It's a sweet little picture. Two little girls that needed each other. There's a wave of research that's been done about touch and how it affects people. Touch has the power to slow your heart rate. It has the power to decrease your blood pressure. It 
has the power to strengthen your immune system. And listen to a couple of these examples they give. In sports, when teammates high-five each other or give each other a pat on the backside of encouragement, those teammates are perceived to be better teammates than the ones who don't do those things. Librarians who check out books to, to students, if they'll pat the student's hand when they take the book, these kids are more likely, statistically and research has proven, they're more likely to read more and to have a higher opinion of the library, of reading. Another, if a doctor comes in and gives you a diagnosis and has a sympathetic touch, even to your hand, just to your hand or on your back, People perceive that they stayed, even though they don't stay any longer than other doctors, people perceive that they have stayed longer and cared more simply because of a touch. Listen to this. James Smith, counselor of Willow Tree Christian Counseling, says, Touch is without a doubt one of the most, if not the most powerful means of communication we have available to us as humans. And Jesus understood that. He was kind of revolutionary and ahead of his time. And Jesus, when he healed people, he would touch them. And you notice these times when he healed women, he touched them. And understand, in a culture that wouldn't even allow men to talk to women, can you imagine the scandal of touching a woman that wasn't your wife in public, which is what Jesus did? He also defended women. Let me remind you of something. I said this earlier. Women were sort of seen as the cause of sin, mostly, especially with sexual sin. Remember I said, hey, if there was adultery, the woman might be stoned and the, and the man usually was let go. Kind of how it worked. But, but Jesus put that on his ear as well. Look at what he says. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, who, who does Jesus put the blame on here? Men, this is, for the first century Jewish people, this is unbelievable what he said. It's like, whoa, 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 you're, you're putting that on us. You're putting it on the dudes. It's not the dudes. And Jesus was like, yeah, it's you. It's you. And Jesus defended the honor of these women through this. There's one more. Jesus used women as an example of great, great faith. Over and over, Jesus refers to women as people of great faith. In Luke 21, there's a story. I'll just show you the text. Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. So when we take up an offering here, we pass a bucket, and you know we, we kind of try to do it on, on, on the down. I mean, it's not like it's a, 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 we don't make a production out of it. The, the temple had boxes, and you could kind of stand around and see who was putting what in the box. I don't know if, if you did that often. Evidently, you did it some because Jesus was standing there and with his disciples, and they were noting people putting offerings in the box. And it says that the rich, Jesus noticed the rich were putting the gifts into the temple treasury. He also noticed a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. And he says, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more than all of the others. And if I'm a disciple hanging out with Jesus there, I'm going, no, no, she didn't. She put in like the least she could put in, but twice. And those other guys put in lots of an amount. 
And Jesus explains, all these others gave out of the gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she has to live on. She is the one who has great faith. Understand something about widows. In the first century, if you became a widow, you had very little recourse. You, you, you could remarry. That's a good option. You could go back to your father's house because you weren't really able to work outside the home. You could go to your father's house, maybe, or you lived on the streets. You had three options. Remarry, on the streets, father's house. This is, these are the only things you could do. Now, this woman gave everything she had to live on. We have a word for that. It's a biblical word. It's called faith. And sometimes God will stretch us and ask us to give even when we don't have. I'm not talking about financially particularly. What if you don't have any energy, but God wants you to go do something? Then you go do it. And this woman had given out of her poverty. And what's really interesting about this, in Jesus' time, rich folks were perceived to be blessed by God and poor folks were perceived to be cursed by God. And Jesus turns that on its ear too. Not only does he turn the whole notion of women are inferior on its ear, but he also turns the whole notion of if you have wealth, somehow you're, God likes you better. That's, neither thing is accurate, and Jesus had this amazing ability to, to write the records. The way Jesus treated women was incredibly important, and he showed their value and he showed their worth and their dignity. Something else I think God would want you to know if you're a woman today is that you should follow his son. Because disciples of rabbis in Jesus' day, always men. Let me show you a verse. Jesus began a tour of the nearby cities and villages to announce the good news concerning the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples, his 12 male disciples with him. Jesus took his 12 male disciples with him. If you'll recall, Jesus goes on a hill. He prays overnight to figure out who should be his disciples. He takes them with him. Makes total sense because every rabbi took male disciples with him. And Jesus did what everybody else does. Then this happens. And along also with some women who had, who had, he had healed from, from whom he had cast out evil spirits. Among them were Mary Magdalene from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Rabbis never allowed women to be his disciples until Jesus. He changes everything. Think about this just for a second. Women traveled with Jesus. Women witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus. His disciples ran away, by the way, his male disciples. Women were the first to the empty tomb. They were the sole recipients of the message that Jesus had been raised from the dead. They were part of the group that encountered the resurrected Christ. I mean... The heroes of the New Testament often are women who choose to follow Jesus. A couple of sisters, Mary and Martha, you probably know this story. Martha 
was doing traditional women things. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so Martha doesn't like that Mary's not helping her cook and do those things. And so she kind of says, hey, Jesus, tell Mary to come help me. Don't you think Mary should help a bit? And Jesus says, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. I've been in ministry a long time. Here's what I know. Um, we, we had a, a funeral meal here on Friday, and we had this amazing team of women who made that happen. And I could have never pulled that off. Number one, I can't cook. Uh, you know, so that's part of it. But it was more than just food. It, it was making people, helping people in a very difficult situation feel loved. And, and they did it remarkably. And it's a ministry that I don't know that everybody can do. I don't know that I can do. But boy, they... They were amazing at this. And I think God would say and Jesus would say to you, follow me. And then the third thing that God would say to you about Jesus is you should tell others. Because women often had this way of telling others. In Matthew 28 it says this. These women had gone to the empty tomb. And they were afraid yet filled with joy because... Jesus wasn't there, but they, he, they had been told by an angel, he's, he's risen. And they ran to tell his disciples, and suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said, do not be afraid, go and tell. Go and tell. Jesus, in his culture, elevated women to a place that had never been seen before. He was revolutionary in that. We, um, who are men who follow Christ, should look at this and say, wow, the, the respect, the honor. Um, I mentioned I have four daughters. One of them is getting married in October. You know, it's one of those days, that would be the first one. Uh, one, of the, one of the things as a dad that I always kind of feared was the boy coming and asking. Because I, I was trying to think, where am I going to bury him? You know, uh, you know how's that going to work? Um, but this young man loves my daughter, treats her well. He's a follower of Christ. She's a follower of Christ. They're going to be a great couple. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to, to have some ease with it because of his respect for her. It's okay. And, and she's off the payroll. Uh, so really, uh, it's going to be great for me. Yeah. So now I'm thanking Jesus. Uh, Lord, thank you. I got two more. Uh, you know, uh, let's see. That happen. It's all about respect, really. And Jesus modeled it for us.
and now we know. Father, we thank you for how much you love us and what you teach us and how you grow us and how you inform us and help us to apply what we hear to our lives. Help us to treat people well. Every person is a precious soul that you love and died for. And Jesus, we, we love you and we thank you for what you do for us. Help us to um, help us to follow you closely and help us to be like Jesus in all of our interactions with people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.